But yeah, so, uh, so yeah, my name is Chasen. Uh, I figure I need to do, uh, some of you know me okay, most of you don't know me super well. We've been here at Gathering for, I don't know, a little over a year. Yeah, a little over a year. My wife back there correcting me because, you yeah, know, trust her. Um, so I wanted to kind of give you an update just real quick on, on me because when Pastor Dave said, hey, come and talk, I said, what do you want me to talk about? You got like a passage or something we can dive into? And he's like, no, buddy, just uh, do what God's been teaching you. And I was like, dude, I don't know if we're ready for that. Um, and so I, I actually planned on doing other things, and I was like, let's do something easier. And in the end, I was like, this just kept coming up. And I thought, well, maybe if I've been going through it, maybe somebody in here has been going through it. But to explain it a little better, I do want to give you just a quick background of me. So this is going to be super fast. Okay, you're ready for this. Um, when I was growing up, I heard this phrase all the time from my family, from friends, from church people all the time. They were like, God has a calling on your life. So get ready, son. And I heard that just over and over and over and over. And so even though I thought I would try other professions and things, so many people would say that to me that I just, I don't even remember making the decision to think like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. We're going to do some sort of church job. It just, I think it was almost like, no, you're, you're doing it. So just, it's happening. And so, you know, we're here. Um, so I heard that a bunch, and I figured this is the best explanation of me if we had to zoom forward in time really, really fast so you can kind of see my existence. Um, I got my first job officially on staff in church in, when I was 15, which was 1996. I know. It's, like a, it's been a minute. Um, and then I went to school, and I got a biblical studies languages degree because I didn't want to go to seminary. I figured let's get the languages out of the way early, and that way you don't have to do that, and you can get to whatever the mission is that God has, Right. And uh, I became a youth pastor at that time, and, and then inevitably, I felt like God said, go to seminary. And I was like, oh, come on. Um, and not only did he say go to seminary, he said go to, for seminary for four years. So I was like, oh, great. So that was four years of time. There was more church work in there. My last week of seminary is that big discovery up there. They make you come in and do a, uh, a personality test and a giftings test and a talents test and all these things so they can tell you where you should go next. And so 10 days before I graduate, they bring me in. There's like the dean of all the studies buildings and my professor and some different people. And they're like, hey, look, your test results came back. And bad news, you should never work in a church, like ever. And I was like, do this earlier. Like, and then I graduated 10 days later. Um, and so I was like, thank you for that little tidbit of information. And um, so yeah, I, there was some more church jobs along the way. Eventually, there was a parachurch job, which means you're still doing church work. It's just not directly in a church. So a lot of stuff. Then 2020 hit, and for me, it was the darkest, you know, really darkest time for uh, our family and for me personally in a long time. I'm not going to go into super into it, but to say COVID was the best part of 2020 for me. Like, that was the best. Everything else was really dark, and it was a really, really struggling time. And everything for me kind of changed. Uh, you can see my little lines, like now we are, we are over here, because everything changed. The direction changed, and I started having uh, big questions like, what do I want to be when I grow up? I figure I just turned 42. We should probably be asking, like, at what point should we start thinking, hey, uh, where should I be? Uh, where should I, should I live here? Should I live there? Should I, should I move countries? Should I switch jobs entirely? Should I just, should I go back to school again? Like what, what exactly, I mean, I was just lost, uh, very much trying to figure out, God, I don't know what's going on. Um, I can't tell you anything. I feel like I know less now than I ever did at any point of my life. That's not a great sign for all this stuff that I've just done. And I noticed that I've been thinking, because of this, thinking significantly differently. Um, a lot differently than I used to, uh, a whole lot differently. Um, 
a couple weeks ago, eight weeks ago, uh, Dave was starting this sermon series on uh, blessings and riches and prosperity and how that all works in the Bible. And on week three or four or something, Dave brought up this passage. And I put it up here because for me, this was a huge passage. I took it home. Uh, I talked to my wife about it. Like, it was in my brain. Because I remember reading the same passage when I was younger, and my, my view has changed. And I didn't even realize that it happened so much, but it had. So is this passage of Deuteronomy 28. It says, if you indeed obey the Lord your God and are careful to observe all of his commandments I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will elevate you above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings will come to you in abundance if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city, blessed in the field. Your children will be blessed as well as the produce of your soil, the offspring of your livestock, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. A lot of stuff. Your basket and your mixing bowl will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who attack you to be struck down before you. They will attack you from one direction, but flee from seven different directions. The Lord will decree blessing for you with respect to your barns and in everything you do. Yes, he will bless you in the land he is giving you. So I read this and it just, it hit me and I could not stop thinking about it. I even told him the next week. I'm like, I'm still thinking about this Deuteronomy passage because I'm just noticing just different. Like I used to read this so simply. It was like a simple, like obey, you know, obey a bunch of stuff. And then God does a bunch of stuff. And it was just so easy. And now I'm like, I have all these questions. Like on the one hand, I totally believe it's true. It's in the Bible. God says it, it's there. You know, Dave preached on it and it was good. Right. And at the same time, I was like, does my life, like if you're looking at my life from the outside, apart from the many kids, um, does my life fit that picture that's there? Like I definitely have tried and my wife and I have tried to follow, be obedient, to obey. And yet when we look at that picture, I'm like, is it resonating with me? Like on the Deuteronomy side, like there's elevation. You know, he's going to raise you up. There's abundance. Blessed in cities and fields and blessed your produce, which I don't grow anything. But if I did, you know, blessing. There's the basket and the mixing bowl will be blessed. Your enemies are going to be struck down. They're going to be scattered out. Your barns are going to grow. There's a lot of great stuff in that passage. And then when I looked at my life, I'm like, well... I don't feel particularly elevated right now, God, really above anything, like, at all. And that's cool. Uh, I mean, we're getting by financially. We're good. Like, we're not, we're not poor. But nobody's going to look at wealth in, the, in Wikipedia, and my face is not popping up there, right? Um, blessed? I'm like, well, yeah, and, and no. Like, we're comparison. Like, you know, like, what, what kind of comparison can we make? To some people, I'm not blessed at all. To other people, we're extremely blessed, right? And so you can't argue, like, I'm not going to go to God and be like, I'm not blessed, because that would be foolish. Um, my enemies are doing just fine. Like, I've checked. They're all doing great. If we had to look at, like, who's looking more like this passage, my enemies are closer to that than I am. And so I'm like, I don't know about this, and I don't have any barns. Like, what barns are we talking about? And no one's going to look at my bank account and be like, yep, there's a huge barn there. Like, it's petite. You know, it's not that great. So I, and I realize also that I'm looking at this, I'm not about comparisons. I, I realize that that is not the point of that passage. But there is something to be done when it comes to, does God have a plan for your life? And at this passage, it kind of comes to, what does it mean to obey? Because that for me is where I noticed, like, that's the root. That's the thing that has changed the most for me. Is like, what does it mean to obey when I was younger versus now? So we're going to go back to when I was younger, right? Yep, that's me. Uh, super weirdo. Um, this was right after high school. I didn't have a high school picture of me. It's probably good. Um, but there's my wife. So um, high school me, man, I could, looking back then, I had an idea of how God worked. Like I had it down. If you asked me, I was confident. 
I had been studying every kind of Bible passage thing we could do. I did every Bible study. I felt like I had it down. Uh, that's why the church hired me so young to start preaching in the youth groups because I was like, I got this. I know what I'm doing. I know what God means about plans because he's got a plan for your life. Everybody's told me so. And if God has a plan for me, he's got a plan for you. And here's what it's going to be. And I knew what obedience was. It was just saying yes and doing whatever you were told. Like, not a hard concept. I was like, yeah, let's, let's, let's just get going here. And then, I don't know about you guys, but there were all these passages at the end of high school that, that you get. Like, this was every graduation card I ever got. Um, hundreds of them. Jeremiah 29, love, which is great, but, like, we need to understand the framework that my young brain was thinking. I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future filled with hope. And when you call out to me and come to me in prayer, I will hear your prayers. And for me, I heard this. I'm like, see, there's a plan. It's very clear. And it's a good one, like filled with hope and awesomeness. And there's a, I put a little cell phone there. Like if you call out to him, he, he's going to hear you. Like this is part of the deal. Like you call out, he hears you. We're good. Like that's going to be easy. Um, Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your paths straight. And I'm like, that's fantastic. See, so in life, there's many paths. Uh, you don't want the ones that are going crazy all over the place. You want the straight one. It's the easiest one. It's not confusing. You just go that way. And you're like, God, where do you want me to go? That way. And that's how you know that you're on the good path is when it's straight and everything's going good. Because if it's all like this, something's gone wrong, right? Easy. Uh, then you get Psalm. How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the assembly of scoffers. Instead, he finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. There it is, obeying. He meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted by flowing streams. It yields its fruit at the proper time and its leaves never fall off. He succeeds in everything he attempts. Not so with the wicked. Instead, they are like wind-driven chaff. For this reason, the wicked cannot withstand judgment, nor can sinners join the assembly of the godly. Certainly, the Lord guards the way of the godly, but the way of the wicked ends in destruction. You read this, and you're like, see? Like, you obey God. It's an important thing. Obey him when he tells you to do something, and then you're going to have blessing and success. You're going to be like a tree. You know, a tree doesn't go anywhere. It's firm. It knows what's going on. It's not confused at all. It's, it, it's there. It's planted. I like that image. Um, Isaiah, you will hear a word spoken behind you saying, this is the correct way. Walk in it, whether you're heading to the right or to the left. So wherever you're going, if you want to know if it's the right way, God's voice is going to be right behind you, and it's going to say left or right, and you're going to be like, cool, I got it, yep. And you're going to go that direction. And it just seemed almost very formulaic to me, like this is going to be easy. You just listen and obey, and you ask, he tells you. For 2 Corinthians, this is when uh, Paul is talking here, and he says, Now when I arrived in Troas to proclaim the gospel of Christ, even though the Lord had opened a door of opportunity for me, and then he goes on to more, but my thing was door of opportunity. He opens the doors for you. He says, here's the door. You know, I'm going to open it for you. You didn't expect it, and then boom, there it was, so you did this thing. Happens again in Isaiah. This is what the Lord says to his chosen one, to Cyrus, whose right hand I hold in order to subdue nations before him and disarm kings, to open doors before him so gates remain Unclosed, I will go before you and level the mountains. Bronze doors I will shatter and iron bars I will hack through. Again, like he is going to open, like the picture is, the doors are there. He's going to open the doors of your life, and you just have to go through them. The door might look strong, but it's not for him. He's just going to plow right through that thing, and you're, you're in. You're good. So for me, if I had to break down my young mental self on how God worked and what God's plan for my life looked like, that's the imagery we got. Like there's a plan. There's a straight path. There's a phone line to God. If you want to know what's going on, you're going to ask. He's going to answer you right away. You're going to have blessing, success. There is a correct path because he says correct one versus the not correct ones. There's opening of doors. There's purpose to everything that he's got going on. 
easy, right? And so then, of course, at the end of high school, you get all those things where the missionaries come in, and they're like, hey, there's no safer place in the world to be than in the center of God's will. And I'm like, exactly. You just ask where that will is, and you just go stand in it. And you're like, boom, got it. You know, like, I'm safe, whatever you've called me to do. And then you just tell me it's moved over there. And then you go over there. And <laughs> this is easy. Like, we can, we can do this. And I, I was ready. So for me, it was very just like, get ready for this. And then on top of all that, there are like divine, I call them like lightning bolt moments for me. So I'm going to give you two to explain this because this kind of goes into where I'm going. And I think maybe you might relate to this too. So one day, I went to school, I had sworn off women, because I decided that the women folk were crazy and wasting time and money. And I was like, God, you and me, we just need to be bros for a while, and no women, and let's just focus on the school and college, and let's just do that. And then I went to a worship service, because I was, again, following, looking for that God's will thing, and I sat down, and this girl turned around and asked me about Greek classes, and it was Cassie. And I mean, for me, she turned around and started talking, and it was like, if God had tattooed my face, it was that clear. Like, I was like, she's the one you're going to marry. I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know what to really do. Then we sat down, the service started, but I was distracted the rest of that service. Um, but I mean, I just knew. I was like, well, we're going to marry that girl. Like that. And, then, and then I had to leave, and I didn't even know where she was or her phone number or anything, because I had, you know, it was crazy. But I knew then, and turns out, yep. We got married, and, and everything in my life has changed because of that moment. But for me, it was like undeniable, God saying this. It was directional. It changed everything in this moment, so that happened. Now, on the other hand, I had a convertible, uh, a GT little uh, Mitsubishi Eclipse convertible. It was decked out. It was fast. I was driving around. I was driving in Dallas one day, going to, going to a different college at the time before I met Cassie, and I'm driving along, there's a big giant flatbed truck in front of me, and it's moving giant stainless steel refrigerators, right? And this is like year 2000, so they're not energy efficient or light. They're super heavy. Um, and so it was in front of me, and it was driving, and as I'm driving, this voice in my head goes off, and it's like, get over. And I was like, huh? And get over. And then I don't know how it happened, I just was over. My whole car was in a different lane, and the second that my car was over, the belt broke on this fridge and flew off and just like creamed the lane right where I was. And it was one of those experiences. I was like, it was undeniable. Like I was in my head. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't remember getting over. I just remember it's so loud saying get over that I got over. So for everybody else, they're like, maybe you just was lucky. I don't know. But for me, like, no, I look back at that. I'm like, that was a clear voice of angel God. I don't know. But it was there and it moved me over. So I looked at that, and I was like, see, God's preserving me because of the whole calling thing. Like, obviously, you have a plan. Otherwise, you'd be dead, right? So there you go. It's confirmation. So you have directional and preservational context for where my young brain was that God had a will and a plan for my life, and it's going to look like the Deuteronomy passage. Like, it's easy. Obeying will be easy, so prepare for the mission. I felt like if you had to define me, this was me. Obeying is going to be easy because God will tell you what to do. So your life is just about getting ready. So you go to school, you get a Christian studies degree, you go to seminary, you get a seminary degree. So that whatever, you're going to be the little Swiss Army tool for God. So wherever he sends you, you're good to go. Talk to young people, talk to old people, get involved in music, get involved in missions, get involved in camps, get involved, whatever it is, go do those things. And I was like, I'm down, let's go, let's, let's do this thing. I, I faith so hard if I had a hashtag back then. That would be my, my thing. But the biggest thing was I had a constant expectation of an interaction with God. I thought my entire life was going to be a constant 
all right, we're doing this. Now, God, what do you want to do? Oh, this? Okay. Now, God, what are we going to do? No, this. And I just thought, like, I expected it. Like, hardcore, in my bones, expected God to interact with me like that constantly. I thought that's how everything would work. So then I get to, my wife and I are married. It's my last semester of college. I got a Christian studies languages degree, like I said. And our last class is a thing called, um, thank you, senior seminar. It's a one-hour class. It's something you have to do to graduate. And it had the dean of the Christian Studies building that I have somehow avoided all of school. I don't know how that happened, really. Um, but it's his class. And so Cassie and I are in it together. We had just gotten married, so we are together. And uh, it's the final class. And all the class is, is there's two books, the little bitty ones. You're going to read the books. That's half the grade. The other half the grade is class interaction, talking about the books. And I'm like, okay, I got this. Like, this is easy. Like, no worries. I read them so fast. Um, whole semester. And then the books he tells us are on God's will. Like, that's going to be the whole semester on God's will. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. This could not be any easier. I've got this nailed. I've been practicing and studying this for a long time. And as we're going in class, Dr. Duvall introduces his own philosophy of God's will and calling in your life. And it was extremely different than what I was coming into that class with. His was... Read your Bible, pray, try to do what the Bible says, and God does not have a plan for your life. There's not a direct plan for your life. And I'm like, wait, what? You know, like, you're the dean? Like, what's going on? And he's like, yeah. So he's like, my wife, I could have married anybody. I married my wife. I love my wife. We have a good relationship married, but I could have married that girl, or we could have married that girl. And as long as you're following the Bible and doing that, you can marry any of the girls, and you would be totally fine as long as you do that. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm like, nope. And so what this really, what this ends up doing is he would get up there and be like, yeah, the Bible's more like guidelines to the plan. There's not an actual plan. And for me, we debate. Now I put this as debate up there in every class. What this really means is passionately argued. I passionately argued every single class with Dr. Duvall. He would open his mouth and say something. My hand would be up. Cassie kept moving her seat further and further away. Because I was not going not gonna to have it. I'm like, what is this? And so we argued. And so at the end of this whole thing, um, he would say, like, yeah, there's, there, God is not going to do this interaction with you. I'm like, dude, there's Moses with the burning bush. There's David. There's Abraham up in the mountains and the promise of the plane, you know, the sons. you got Jacob's ladder and the angel wrestling with God, Adam and Eve, and the multiplication, like, direct thing. Like, go do this stuff. Paul with his Damascus Road experience. John had visions. Joshua's got all the cities and the conquerings and all the instructions. Jonah's got the fish. Like, dude, there's a plan. It's obvious. Like, the whole Bible's chock full of how are we even talking? How are you the dean? Like, this just kept coming up. And I just thought Duvall was an idiot. Like, I, <laughs> I might have told him that. I don't know. But I just thought, like, this dude does not know what is up. So I was clearly on one side about how I thought the, the calling of God worked and the purpose of life worked. Duvall's way on the wrong side. Um, and so that's kind of where it was. It, in the end, it's funny because he told me that my, I was failing the class. And I was like, wait, what? And I was failing. And Cassie wasn't, but she didn't talk much. And my roommate, my previous roommate, he wasn't failing, but he had skipped out on half the class because he was Twitterpated at the time. So he hadn't even been there, and he was passing. So I go into Duvall with my wife, and I'm like, how am I failing this class? And he goes, dude, it's really simple. I don't really think you're getting the class. I'm like, I don't think you're really getting the class. And he's like, I don't like you. Uh, he really said that. And I was like, you're failing me. He's like, well, it's my prerogative if you're getting the class or not. And I was like, if you fail me for this class and I don't graduate, I'm going to sue you. And he gave me a C and graduated me to get me out of there. So that's where that class ended. 
Now, my plan was 20 years later, which is basically in just a couple months, it will be 20 years to the day I met Duvall, 20 years. And I planned to go back to our 20-year reunion, and I'm going to find that dude, and I'm going to just tell him, see, you were wrong, and I'm going to rub his face in it. Like, I remember having that plan. I'm like, they're going to invite me back to speak one day, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it out there for this whole auditorium about Duvall, right? So it's been 20 years, um, and this is me now. Um, turns out... A lot of life happens in 20 years, and a lot of stuff goes down that you don't expect. And over the last 20 years, I think that like 90% of my time, probably more, 95% of my time, I don't know what God has got going on. If you said, where's God's will? There's more times I'm like, I don't know. It might be this. It might not be this. There's a ton of times where I'm asking God questions like, what am I supposed to do? Are we supposed to be doing anything right now? Like, I'm waiting for a sign. There's been times when I have been trying to, like, pray, and I don't think my prayers are leaving my room. Like, I'm pretty sure it's just me, and they're talking to myself. And it's been very that way. I don't know if you're ever feeling like this, but for me, that's what it feels like. I'm like, there's a lot going on, God, and I don't know what you're doing. Are we even doing it? Are we on the same page at all? Um, I don't know. And so I just kind of asked myself all these questions. I had to go back to the drawing, but especially after 2020, because that 2020 was a punctuation point for me. Like everything that you thought was going to be one way was absolutely not going to do that at all. And you're going to have to reset everything in your life. So I started going back to the Bible and I was like, let's figure this out because I mean, I don't think I'm hundred percent right now. I know that Duvall is wrong, but I don't think I might be as right as I thought I was. And so I wanted to go back and start looking at things. So I want to kind of look at, at Jonah and Brona for just, just a minute there, okay? Um, yes, because uh, this was a major passage. It was one of my favorite books. It's, I, you know, when you do Hebrew, you have to translate it. I ended up translating this several different times. I love the book of Jonah. Learned so much from it. And so I went back and I started looking at Jonah. And you get this, this moment. We're going we're gonna to read just a few things. Um, at the beginning, it says, The Lord's message came to Jonah. Son of Amittai, go immediately to Nineveh, the largest capital city, and announce judgment against his people because their wickedness has come to my attention. And instead, we know the story, Jonah immediately headed off to Tarshish to escape from the commission of the Lord. I'm like, dude, it's just obey, right? Like, what's up with that? But anyway, he doesn't. He traveled to Joppa. He found a merchant ship headed to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went aboard uh, to go with them uh, far away from the Lord, which is comical. Uh, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind on the sea. Such a violent tempest arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break up. So I'm reading this again. I'm like, see, look, the Lord's message came to him. Like it was clear. It was like, God, you you interacted. And then you did it again. You sent a powerful storm. It's like he did this. He sent, he's interacting with his life directly. A little bit later, it says, after the guys throw him into the ocean, you've seen the veggie tales. I'm not spoiling anything. Um, the Lord sent a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. So the fish is minding its own business, and then God says, go, and the fish goes and does this thing and swallows Jonah for three days and three nights. So see, once again, God is directly acting in Jonah's life. And then, a little bit later, then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. Again, a commandment from God it is what took to happen. It didn't just accidentally happen. It's like intentional and then we got the Lord's message came to Jonah a second time, which showing God's patience. Go immediately to Nineveh, the large city, and proclaim it the message that I tell you. So he, again, tells directly, here's the plan that I have for your life. Go do this thing, dude. And then at the end of the story, you know, we find Jonah upset underneath a little bush, you know, a little, little plant uh, up on the hill. And, and then we get this interaction, which has always been one of my favorites and yet most baffling. 
God said to Jonah, are you really so very angry about the little plant? And Jonah said, I am as angry as I possibly could be. (laughs) And the Lord said, you were upset about this little plant, something for which you did not work, nor did you do anything to make it grow. It grew up overnight, died the next day. Should I not be more concerned about Nineveh, this enormous city? And then the book ends. I'm like, God of the universe is having a conversation with this whiny dude a combo. It's not even just like, God, should I go there? Give me a feeling. It's an actual conversation that I'm seeing happen. That's what life is like, right? It's got to be just like this. Now, meanwhile, there's Brona. Now, it's not in the Bible. When you read this, Brona doesn't show up, but Brona was the next door neighbor to Jonah. He was right down the street doing his own thing. And when you read the Bible, he's not there. Now, we don't know because of that what interactions God had with Brona. We don't know, did he show up and tell Brona who to marry or what to do or where to go to school? We don't know what his calling for his life was. We don't know, did any fish ever interact with him? Uh, Nothing. He's just the magical, mysterious neighbor that we never hear anything about. But he's there, right? Then look at this passage. This is, let's go New Testament with Jesus, okay? I love this. Jesus, as he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, and I will turn you into fishers of people. They left their nets immediately and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And then he called them, and they immediately left their boat and their father and followed him. So again, they're there minding their own business. They're doing their life. They're probably doing what they think they're supposed to do. It's a family business. They're all out doing this thing. And then God shows up on the shore, and he calls them. And he not only calls them, but he's saying, come do this thing. This is a direct change of your life from this moment forward. I'm calling you to a new thing. Come do this. You are not going to ever do anything that you thought you were going to do from this point on. It's going to be a new direction. And he calls them straight up divine interaction. All right, now, just down the shoreline, uh, you've got Brona Jr., 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 and he's on a fishing boat a couple miles down the way, also fishing. And we don't know if Jesus ever interacted with Brona. It's not recorded. Uh, we don't know, did he just keep on fishing? Did he ever meet Jesus? Did he ever go, did he get involved with church work? Um, what, was his, what, what, what interactions did God have with him? Did he have any with him? Like, what we don't know, because Brona Jr., Jr., Jr. does not exist in the Bible. In fact, if you really think about it, if the Bible is our example of God interacting with people, then 99.9999% of people, we don't know how God interacted with all those people, right? Like we get these stories, we get what God said about these things, and this is kind of the Bible, the book that he's given us and said, this is all you need. And at the same time, there's so many stories that we just don't know what God did, what God didn't. So for me, this is, this is kind of two truths that I took away is one, God sometimes speaks to people giving life-altering direction, Jonah, Most of the time he doesn't, which is Brona, right? And if you looked at Jonah's life, the little red line is the interaction of the Jonah story from the Bible. We get this moment. We don't know where he was born or how he did. We don't know what his passions were when he was high school. We don't know how old he was. After the story, we don't know what he did. Did he just stay under that plant and die? Did he move on? Did he go and, you know, did he retire well? I don't know. It doesn't tell us anything. We get that moment from this story. And so I started looking at that thinking, well, If you're living your life where you're like, God speaks to people giving life-altering direction, and that's going to be everything, and you don't pay attention to the other part, then it can be extremely disillusioning because God does not just work that one way, right? So I put this up here. Um, When Judah was born, we were already kind of at a very dark time. He's my second child. 
it was really rough. Uh, I'm not going to go into it. Uh, but then Cassie was pregnant. We had to take him to the, you know, go to the hospital. She's about to give birth. Everything's going um, not great. Cassie is not having the right, you know, contractions and stuff. And the doctors get really worried after hours and hours and hours. And Cassie is so exhausted at this point that she is completely asleep. Like, she is passed out. She's gone. There's no contractions at all. She is worn out. It's been three days. The doctors come in. They're like, dude, uh, here's the deal. Things are really bad. And so if something doesn't happen in the next 10 minutes, um, we're going to have to just go cut this baby out because it's just gotten really, really bad. I knew that's not what she wanted. It's not what I wanted. And then they left. We're going like, to give you 10 minutes. And then they walk out of the room. Cassie's asleep. So I don't know what to do. So I'm kind of pacing back and forth, and I'm like, God, I don't know what's going on right now, but I felt like this was what we were supposed to do. So here's the thing. I've got literally a couple minutes left. So if you are going to do something, God, you're going to have to do it. I don't know what it is, but you're going to have to do it right now, or else they're coming in with knives, and and we're going to just figure out what happens, and I don't know. But it has to happen right now. So I said that prayer and I look over, and Cassie's asleep, and nothing happens. And the room is just dead quiet, and I'm like, I don't know. And then she just woke up, and we had the baby moments later. Like, unbelievable. So, like, for me, it was, like, again, a moment of God in her, like, I don't know what happened. It was just, like, boom, it happened. There's, and even the doctors, they weren't even ready. They were about to come in and get her. They weren't even ready. They were like, we can't believe this just happened. What in the world? And for me, I'm like, I'm in tears at this point because I'm like, I've never seen God do something so just crazy right in front of my face. That's undeniable. And then right after that, we're still living in this dark time for years, and I don't feel like my prayers are leaving the room. And it was very disillusioning because I'm like, how can you answer me when this? It was so clear. You did it. And yet everything else I'm praying about, I'm getting nothing. And I think what really was going on was I was not learning the two things about, sometimes I put this unicorn because that was clip art. That's all I had. Sometimes there's moments where something magical happens where God does something like that in your life, and it does happen, and he does do things. Sometimes you do call out, and he will answer on that moment, but sometimes that doesn't happen just the way you're planning. So I think, one, God sometimes speaks to people giving life-altering direction, and obeying should be easier here because you can know what God wants you to do, but I think a lot of the time he doesn't. It's not as easy to obey because you might not know what God wants you to do. If you're looking at my life, or this could be your life, and you're trying to figure out how do we obey God, like Deuteronomy says, well, you're going to probably have interactions from God like that throughout your life where sometimes God just shows up in undeniable ways. It's probably going to happen, but it's not every five minutes. And there's going to be these gaps in between in your life where you need to figure out how you're going to handle dealing with choices when you don't have that divine, just boom, there it is, interaction. So I wanted to kind of leave you with these couple things. These are what I've been kind of learning and having to relearn, which is ridiculous when you're 42, and yet it's how God works, right? When you don't know what to do, when you're in the in-between times and you're trying to understand what God's doing and you're feeling like your prayers aren't hitting the ceiling, sometimes I think, well, God's already told you uh, some of the stuff that you should already know. It's already in the Bible. And so you can just go first back on that and say, God, if you're not telling me with some divine thing what to do, what does the Bible say about this thing? A lot of times there's plenty of stuff that we know, the Ten Commandments, we know what God wants for us. He's already laid that out. When it comes to marriage, there's tons of verses in the Bible about what a good marriage is and how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, how to have a good relationship. There's plenty of verses on raising children, uh, how they should do, how to train them. Philosophy of work and living, abundance of stuff with that. Abundance of stuff on the community. There's at least eight weeks on prosperity that you can learn uh, in the Bible. Thank you for the few of you that caught that. Um, 
So there's a lot of stuff already in the Bible that God has already said that he's preserved and said, look at these, you know, this, these books that I've given you in the Bible, and you can probably get a lot of information there. Start there. And I think that is a great place to start. But then there are still those questions that we're going to have, which are the what about the hard stuff, which for me, the hard stuff is, is really the more basic, which is, do, should I take that job or do I take that job? Or is there a job to take, period? Uh, should I move here? Should I live there? Should I move to a different country? Which one, God, should we do here? Um, should my child go to this school or go to that school? Or should we homeschool? Or on and on. Like, there's some things that are not necessarily exactly in the Bible. And these are big questions that we wrestle with because they are a part of life. And so for me, I was like, if God is not going to give me that lightning bolt interaction to tell me, move here, go here, work here, then I have to have a framework for it. So I went back and I started looking at some of these verses again, and I was like, let's, let's look at a few things to build the framework for how we can make these decisions and do these things and know that, yeah, we are still part of, of, of God's plan. Uh, and Mark says, Jesus answered, the most important thing is, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. That is the core of all of it, like the core of the entire Bible come down. So like if you're going to build a framework to how to make decisions, that's, for me, number one. Like it has to be there. Um, looking at, at the next, but from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When you get married, you are no longer just you right? You're, you're one. There's a oneness thing that happens there. And so I think that you can't just make decisions willy-nilly on what you think because you are now not just you. So that has to go into our framework to how to make decisions. With children, train a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. God does not say, let the public education system raise our children. God does not say, let the youth pastors raise our children. Um, it's your responsibility as a parent, right? Like, it's on you. He holds you responsible. You might not like it, but that's what it is. And therefore, that has to also go into the framework of how we make decisions. Uh, plans fail when there is no counsel, but with abundant advisors, they are established. I think there's a lot of times where uh, we can get a lot of wisdom just from the community of church people that we're in by going and saying, hey, I have some decisions. Let me talk to you because you're also a part of the church. You're a part of the body of Christ. You can probably have some wisdom and some view that I might not think about, and we can use that. That should go into our framework. Uh, Colossians says, whatever you are doing, work at it with enthusiasm as the Lord and not for people because you know that you will receive your inheritance from the Lord as the reward. Serve the Lord Christ. So we know how we're supposed to work. We're supposed to be enthusiastic. If we're going to do something, it better be something that you can jump in there and be enthusiastic about it. That should be part of the framework. We shouldn't commit our time and resources to things that we hate, right? That should probably go into our framework. Um, one more, my point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. I think there's a lot even more to do even with, than what Dave said with prosperity. I think, like, maybe it's a strategy for living. When you invest in something, we should invest big in that thing and not waste our time. Like, nobody wants to go and say, I planted a thing of corn, and I'm hoping for 10 more corns to come up out the ground, Right? If you're going to do something with enthusiasm, maybe we should think, like, if we're going to do it, let's do it and invest long-term and, and bigger. And that maybe should go into the framework of how we make those decisions as well. So that being said, I kind of came up with this little basic framework for how to make these decisions in the in-between times. I start with God. Is this going to strengthen my relationship with God? Because that is the number one thing. You fail there, you're in trouble. 
Then I go to marriage. I'm like, is this going to make my marriage better and stronger, or could it maybe put some chinks in that? Is there a problem somewhere in that? Is there going to be separation somehow of that? If it is, I don't do that. Children, is it going to strengthen my children's relationship with God and how I train them, or is it going to weaken it? Counsel in church, is this going to be, am I getting good things from the church? Like, yes, this is a good thing. If I'm getting a bunch of no's, that might be a sign that maybe that's not the best decision. And wisdom investments, if I'm going to pour my time and energy and resources into something, is it going to be something worthwhile, or is it going to be negative? Is it going to take away from the other things? If all those things are in the red there, and they're all good, then I'm probably going to go that direction. That being said, I put the little hat there, because sometimes these things do happen in your life. And so just because you might be thinking, hey, I think this is the right decision, God, I'm going to go for this, we have to know that there are times where he might just show up and do one of those things that he does and says, I want you to go here. And it might not be your plan at all. And at that point, you drop that whole thing and say, okay, God, obey, and you, and you go that way. Because sometimes he does do that. Sometimes you ask him for something, and that thing shows up in a mega way. Uh, I know I'm, I'm going to finish. I'm finishing. I'm, I'm, I'm going. I'm going. I do want to talk about this. In 2016, my son was on a soccer team, um, and I was doing church work so much that I did not have time to coach him, and, but I loved soccer growing up, and I really wanted him to play soccer. I wanted him to have that experience, so I put him on this team with this coach, and the coach was absolutely awful, and he was not enjoying his, you know, at all the experience of soccer. The, the coach would say things like, you're right wing, and Cohen would go out there and say, like, I don't know what left is. I don't know what right is. I don't know what a wing is. Are we birds? Like, he had no idea. And it was a horrible experience. He just wasn't doing it. And, and I would show up for the, the games, and I would just think, this is going to be so sad that he's going to grow up and not have a good experience with this game that I love so much. Not that they have to do it forever, but you know what I mean? And so I was like, I'm going to have to coach. So I talked to my wife, and I'm like, I think I'm going to have to coach. I'm like, how am I going to do this with all the stuff that's going on? It's going to take a huge investment of time to do this thing. But we prayed about it. We thought about it. And I was like, we're just going to have to, we're going to, have to do it. Uh, it's, it's just, it's not maybe God's audible voice telling me to do it, but everything's lining up like we should do this thing. It's a good investment. Let's, let's make this thing happen. So I started doing it in 2016, just thinking, give the dude, and both my sons are up there. Uh, they're on the same team. Give them a good experience, a good chance to learn what this game is so that maybe they enjoy it, right? Well, last Saturday, uh, we finished our our final Avengers game. We've been sticking with it since 2016. You'll notice they're all huge now. I'm kneeling down because they're all taller than me. Um, they're a championship team. They've been together. Most of these guys have been together for years and years and years. And what's crazy to me is I just thought at the time I was just blessing my two children. That's it. And then now that all this time has gone by, at some point I just realized I was driving home one day with Cassie in the car and I was like, I think that coaching the Avengers might be one of the best things I did in my entire life. It was such a small decision at the time, but it has just grown into such a blessing with all these kids. It's blessed their lives. The families have come together. They've been blessed. In fact, that's largely how I'm here now because the Romos have their son up there, right up there. And that's how I ended up here is because he was on the team. And so all these things happened because of that decision that I made that now I can see how God used that. And ultimately, the blessing is way more for me than anybody else. But that framework, it didn't happen because I got a divine thing from God. It just happened because we were trying to obey and use the framework to say, let's make the best decisions that we can. 
And yeah, it will be one of the best things in, in life that I did. Sometimes in life, I think that you're Jonah. Every now and then, God tells you something, and that's great. A lot of times, you're going to be Brona. And instead of freaking out like me, um, I think that we can still use the Bible and use the framework God gave us to make decisions. When I go out, um, Cohen is now old enough to babysit. It's a miracle because with all these kids, you know, it's like date night again. It's amazing. And he's old enough to babysit. When I leave that house, um, they know what to do, and they know me, and they know what I'm going to say about everything without me being there. Like, they can take care of their business. They don't have to call me a bunch of times. If they're starving, they know what they can eat, and they know what they shouldn't do, and all that kind of stuff. And I can leave the house, and they can make decisions, and I can come home, and I can be like, those were great decisions that you made. Well done, right? And I think sometimes in the Brona world, God's the same way. He's already worked with us. We already know who he is. He's already left us everything we need to know. If the decision is not you know, bringing in this, this interaction from God that's like a divine spark moment, sometimes it's like, because God's like, you got this. You already know. You can make decisions. And I'm going to trust you because you're my son. I love you. I want you to learn to make decisions and do these things. And if you are going off the path, don't worry. I got that too, right? I can let you know because you'll find out. So for me, this is kind of what obeying looks like now. Uh, again, it is not, it's definitely not what Duvall thought. Um, but it's also different than what I originally thought. For me, obeying is like this. Sometimes you're Jonah, during these times, you obey. Sometimes you're Brona, and during these times, you need to trust what God has already said and then use a framework based on what God has said to then make your decisions and then just go forward with the boldness, knowing that he will stop you if you're, if you're going off the rails. You know, if something's wrong, either that or the church members will stop you. Somebody will. Somebody will get your back. Um, and that being said, it's always nice to be ready. I, I, I don't believe in unicorns, guys, but it was the clip art. But be ready for unicorns because sometimes God will show up and do things. It just happens. It's never going to be an expected moment. But when that happens, just it's part of life also. So I think it can be both things. I think God can have a plan for your life, and I think that you can also be making decisions. And those decisions can play into God's plan for your life. Even if your life doesn't look like the epitome of what's seen up on the Deuteronomy passage with all the barns and stuff, I think that doesn't mean that you didn't obey it's just I think there's a lot more to it than just what a barn might be. And I think blessings look a lot differently. And I think obey, obedience is a lot more interesting than just a concrete black and white, there it is, do this thing, there's a plaid land in it. Does that make sense? So that's kind of what I've been going through at 42 years old. And I know it sounds silly, but I'm thinking if, it's going, if I'm going through it, chances are somebody else is probably having a similar thing where you're lost and you don't really have a direction on what to do. Um, you don't know where to move, where to go, what job to take, all that kind of stuff. And so I think having the confidence to step back and say, no, God has still got me. I'm good. He's not, he's not forgotten me somewhere. He's not withholding information. We can still do that. For me, that's a hugely freeing thing to say, oh, okay, well, yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's start, you know, I have confidence again. So that's kind of what I wanted to, to give you. Is that, is that good? Awesome. All right, well, let's go ahead and let's stand. I'm going to pray. Uh, Mr. Ryan's going to come on up here. Um, but yeah, if you need, if you're in one of those lost moments, if you're feeling like you don't know what to do, or you don't know what God is doing in your life, if you're feeling confused, which I get, then I think, A, you're surrounded by people who will happily pray with you. And I think that the confusion often is Satan's way of just trying to get you to be nervous and to doubt God a little bit. But God has not forgotten you. He's good. He will tell you what to do. He will use your people around you to encourage you. And I think that you can walk confidently with him without fear. I think that's a major, major part of the Bible. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We pray for Pastor Dave. Uh, just heal his leg, his knee quickly, uh, so that he can be back up and around doing things. Father, we thank you that you're a God that 
loves us, Lord, that you do have a plan, that you designed us with purpose, but you've also given us the opportunity to trust you, to learn from you, and to take what you've given us to make decisions and to do things that we can best follow your will. And you're also the God that does interact, just like you did with Jonah and Moses and David and all these people. Lord, you do interact that way with us. And so we just thank you for that relationship. We thank you for your son who died for us to make that relationship possible. And I pray you just continue to bless us as a congregation, that we would be the light for the neighborhood, the light for the people around us, and that our decisions would be fruitful, that we would multiply, that the decisions that we make would bring people to you through the goodness that you do in us. In Jesus' name.